Please be seated. If you're visiting with us today, let me see how wonderfully, uh, wonderfully wonderful, <laughs> how great that is to have you with us. You've been given a packet of information. Uh, at this time, you should pass those attendance cards toward the aisles. I have some gentlemen here who will come by those aisles and take that for you so we can have a record of your attendance. Let me encourage you also uh, that if you are visiting with us, to come back at any opportunity that you have. We love visitors, and we love to have you here with us. We're 23 days into the new year. And if you listen carefully, over the past 23 days, one by one, you can hear them meet their demise. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And slowly they fall off the cliff of... You know, those cookies are hot. And that cake is fresh. And there's some leftover. They fall off that cliff of... Rut. You know the rut. You like being in the rut area. Everything is nice and smooth within that particular rut. Notice the idea of New Year's resolutions. Its history goes about 4,500 years before Jesus was born. Back to ancient Babylon, so they say. I'm not old enough to know that, but that's what they say. Babylon used it to reaffirm their loyalty at the first of the year to the king and to their individual gods. Thus begins New Year's resolution. We make our way to 46 B.C. in Rome. Resolutions are given to a god by the name of Janus. Janus has two faces. He's looking forward and he's looking backward. And so this particular god has the ability to see what you have been doing and what you ought to be doing at the same time. And so the resolutions there are promises for good conduct. And as you and I study through uh, the Bible, it's, we understand Rome and how they would get good conduct from their particular citizens. You can either be civil and follow the rules or we'll kill you, which is an easy way to get people in line. When we move up to about 740 A.D. in England, we meet up with a man by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley is the man who was credited, he and his brother Charles, for starting the uh, Methodist movement there. And in that particular denomination in 1740, they began the Covenant Renewal Service. That's to make amends for the sins of the past year and to do better next year. Does that sound familiar at all? Today, most all of the religious ties to uh, the idea of New Year's resolutions are, are, are out of here. Do you know that 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions? Have you made one or two? Do you know that about 8% of them keep them? That was a shocking number to me, that there are literally 8% of people who actually keep those things. As you and I look at New Year's resolutions, we see the top 10 for the United States. 
The top 10 resolutions for the United States, number 10 is to read more. Obviously, you don't have a job like mine. Number nine is to travel more. Obviously, you don't have a job like mine. Number eight is to spend more time with friends and family. I, I can understand. Seven, quit smoking. That's a good one to have. Six, save more money or spend less money, and perhaps those go hand in hand. Number five, live life to the fullest. However you define that. Number four, learn a skill, a hobby, a new skill, a hobby, or a language. No, thank you. <laughs> Number three, get organized. Mm. Number two, lose weight. And I don't know why number two and number one are not the same thing, but they are not the same thing, apparently. Number two is to lose weight. Number one is to exercise more. Now, I did not go to medical school, but here's what I know. If you exercise more, you will lose weight. Is that, that right? It's a math game, right? Burn off more than you take in, you lose weight. The end. Those are the top ten of the men and women around you, of their, their New Year's resolutions that they've made 23 days ago. And by now, statistics will tell us that those New Year's resolutions have gone away. That we, we thought about reading more, traveling more. We thought about spending less money or, or saving more money. We thought about those new skills and hobbies. We thought about losing weight or saving more money. And we just simply thought about those things. It's a good idea for us to have, but we really didn't follow those things out. Because what we want is... The idea for me to stand here and say, I want to lose weight and exercise more, and then on January the 2nd, look here, now I'm 180 pounds, and I am just a gym rat, and I love to exercise, and I've lost all the weight I want to. That's how we expect it. Shame on us. Shame on us. Notice this. Spiritually speaking, people make resolutions at the first of the year also. Here are the top 10 spiritual resolutions for the folks around you in our particular town to keep a record of progress. As I read through that idea, the idea here is to uh, be more deliberate about what you're doing spiritually and keep a record of how those things are going. Number nine, to understand needs versus wants in their physical life and uh, for them. What is, a, what is a physical or a spiritual need versus a spiritual or physical want? Number eight, to fellowship more with the folks of my congregation in my house. Okay. Number seven, to volunteer more. Where is Lessel? Lessel would want you to volunteer more. He always is looking for teachers. So... Seven's a great one. Six, find and fill needs in my community. We look at those quite frequently through the year, don't we? Uh, Michael urges us from time to time to make sure we can find those folks uh, who need things and who want things and have a desire for things within our community, that we can meet those needs and that we can present to them the gospel. Number five, attend Bible study. I like how that one's written. Notice the word more is not there. 
Just attend. Number four, invite. Number three, convert one. That's a good one. Would you like to double the size of this congregation by January 1st next year? All right, shake or nod. Convert somebody. Just one person. Number two, read the Bible daily. That's a good one. Number one, pray daily. Those, spiritually speaking, those uh, top ten New Year's resolutions are wonderful. If you hadn't made any of those New Year's resolutions, how are they doing? When you and I look at the Bible, when you and I study through the very Word of God, there's a reason why we do this. And the reason why we make those particular New Year's resolutions. One, it helps us follow the Word of God. It keeps us on track to what we should be doing, to those things that would almost seem to be to us second nature. Sometimes we need to stay on track. Does anybody veer off track through the day other than me and Donnie? I will walk through my office and audibly say to Angela, who has no idea what's going on in my mind, what am I supposed to be doing? And then I'll go back to my office and I'll sit in my chair and go, oh yeah. Does anybody else do that or is it just me? Matter of fact, I gave her some directive for this next week in our class uh, I write on those whiteboards in our class, and it's terrible. My handwriting's terrible. Maybe I need to put that on my New Year's resolution. Uh, but if you'll leave it there for a week, it will almost cement itself onto the wall, and you can't get it off. And I told Angela, I said, here's what your answer is next week when I say, what am I supposed to be doing? Clean those nasty boards. That's what you should be doing. And so, we have those... New Year's resolutions to keep us focused in on the commandments of God. As a matter of fact, John would write in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 that the commands of God to us are not grievous. Those are things that we cannot do. God doesn't expect us to go beyond what we can physically do. He just expects us to do what we can do. Why do we have those uh, New Year's resolutions to help us grow? Peter would write in 2 Peter, the last verse there of that particular book, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How in the world am I going to grow in it if I don't know where it's at? Reading that Bible daily, praying, studying, attending those Bible classes, very, very, very key to me growing as a Christian. But probably the greatest idea found in the reason why we have New Year's resolutions, spiritually speaking, is to promote the kingdom of God. It is our duty as His children to take His Word, that saving Word for mankind, and expose lost humanity to it. That's my job. And guess what? It's not just our job. It is our job. Because here's the reason. I don't know who Matt McKee or Andy see during the week, but I can guarantee you we don't see the same people. 
And if I'm exposing those that I see to the truth, and they're exposing those they see to the truth, and you're exposing those you see to the truth, how far is the church reaching that week? Hmm. New Year's resolutions. To promote the kingdom of God. To push out amongst the lost. The fact that they are lost. And that they can be saved. And that the God that will save them wants them to be saved. What a great message. What a great message that we have kept to ourselves. Notice, if you will, Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up where Brother Michael Cox left off. And if you don't have a Bible, if you do have a bulletin, this section of Scripture, 32 through 39, has been printed in there, and you can use that, maybe take some notes beside that if you'd like to. As you and I read through the different books of the Bible, when any book is mentioned, something ought to pop into your head. The book of Romans. God's grace to justify man. Paul, through the inspiration of God, is writing to a church in Rome that is surrounded by the same type of people that we are. Same type of people that you and I are surrounded every day. People who are lost, people who are hurting, people who don't understand who God is or why God is or even who Jesus the Christ is. In Rome, not only is the church being surrounded by people who are ignorant of what the Bible would say, but they are also being surrounded by people who are persecuting them because the local government sees it as an insurrection against them. And here's what the inspired apostle writes to that particular church. What shall we say then to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Who is the us? The church there, as he's writing. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep. For the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice this section of Scripture. 
And as you look at it, some things come to your mind and, and it makes you question what's kind of going on. Let's take an, an easy uh, sentence idea about this particular verse. You ready? Since God has saved me by His plan. My obedience to that plan. What power can force me to be lost outside of me choosing to fulfill my own lust? See, Paul would write, there's nothing aside from you that can take you outside of God's hand. There's nothing outside of you that can remove you from the saving power of God's grace, but you can do it. You can decide today, I'm not going to follow after God. I don't care what he has to say. I don't care what, he, what he's trying to say. I'm going to just follow after self. And so, since that is the case, and nothing can take me out of the hand of God, nothing can force me out of that hand. Look what these New Testament Christians have been, been doing. I want you to focus in on verse number 35 and 36. When the book of Romans is written, the church in Rome is not a new thing. They haven't just started the church, and we haven't figured out all those kinds of things. The church there has been well established. Not only has it been well established, this church and her members are literally taking a beating. They are literally having to deal with threats against their lives and their brothers and or sisters being taken out of those that uh, particular building if the church owned one and being killed by the government. Notice verse 35 and 36. What's going to separate us? It's going to be tribulation and distress that you are presently under? Is it going to be the point at which the, the outside forces uh, put those screws to you so hard that you're just going to crumble? Is that what's going to cause you to stumble? Notice verse number 20, 36. It's going to be persecution. Where they take away everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you could have, everything that your children have. They'll give it back to you. Oh, we'll give it back to you. All you need to do is denounce the Christ as the king and announce the emperor as the king. You get all that back. Will it be persecution that causes you to crumble? Will it be famine when they try to starve you out? Will it be Nakedness when they begin to take away all of your belongings and they end up taking all of your clothing and have you exposed not only to the shame and the reproach of people around you, but perhaps the, the, uh, the weather itself? What's it going to be? It's going to be peril? Is it going to be sword? Is it going to be when they take you outside of these walls and they cut your head off? Is it going to be the point at which they take you outside these walls and they stone you to death or they beat you to death or they whip you to death? 
What is it going to be that causes me to change from following after God? The government that's found in the book of Romans was dead set against the New Testament church. And still, even in this book, with all the problems that she had, still she was thriving. She was still growing. Still teaching. Still learning. Still loving. Still looking at others. Walking up and down those same streets that they walked up and down and having compassion toward them. She was still thriving as the church. I'm going to make a, a wager with you. And I think I'll win this one ten times out of ten. I don't think I know in my lifetime of 45 years it's never happened, but I don't think it will. I don't think there's going to come a point in time in which the government's going to come in here and drag me out. Might happen. I don't think so. I don't think there's going to come a point in time where I'm going to, to look at the example that's given to me in the book of Romans chapter 8 and say, look, all of those things are happening to us. Are we going to stay where we are or are we going to, we're going to do something else? But let me ask you this. What exactly are you willing to do to promote the church? The saving ark of God Himself for the mass of humanity. Let's look back last year, 2021. Are you willing to do what you did last year? And for some of us, if we're, if we're honest about it, we're going to say, yeah. You know why? Because we didn't hit a lick of snake. Y'all know, know what that term means? Okay. I didn't know if that was too Alabama for you. Because we didn't do a thing. I'm willing to do double what I did last year. You know why? Because two times nothing is still nothing. What exactly am I willing to do to take the light of the church for which Jesus Christ gave his blood and take it out those doors? What are you willing to do? In Romans chapter 8, they were, they were willing to give up all kinds of things. Hmm. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go to spread the gospel of Jesus the Christ? Now I'm going to ask you a question. You just sort of yes or no. Shake or nod. How many of you got uh, neighbors on your right-hand side or left-hand side of your house? All right. Now, here's going to come one that's very important. How many of you, yes or no, yes means that both sides, have both sides of your neighbors as faithful members of the church? You willing to go across the yard? 
What we think is, oh, I, I can't, I don't know, I don't have a passport to go here. I can't do that. I can't raise that money to go there. I, I want to go this place or another. Why don't you go across the yard? Why don't we save everybody in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and then work our way out? How far are you willing to go? I want to do this for the Lord. I want to do that. I want to do this other. But I don't really want to teach anybody. I don't. I don't really want to do what it. That takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. What else you got to do? Notice this. Who am I willing to help? On more than one occasion, she has come home and she has given me the number of somebody. As Miss Brandy has that kind of face. I guess where everybody just wants to talk to you. And maybe uh, she'd be at a gas station and somebody would start talking to her and they'd, they'd get on the subject of the church and... She'd say, here's the number, you need to call that. And I don't know who in the world is on the other side of those seven digits. Who are you willing to help? I'd help them, but they don't really want it. How do you know? Brent, let me tell you something. Every person in the human race, every person ought to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and obey it or reject it. Everybody ought to have that opportunity. And when I decide for this person that they don't want to hear it, I have already decided for them their eternity. Now you let that sink in. Uh, they don't want to hear that. Mm. They might. Whether they want to hear it or not, Christian, you're obligated to teach it to them. Who am I really willing to help? What am I really willing to change? If we do the same things from last year, you'll be guaranteed we're going to get the same results. If we want to have different results, we're going to have to change something somewhere. What am I willing to change in order to promote the gospel and the kingdom of God to a world that is lost? Anything? Nothing? Don't answer out loud. Just be real honest with yourself. And then the last question for today. After knowing all those things and seeing what I ought to be doing, and knowing that uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3 is still in there, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? When I don't do what God says to do, I've neglected that. What am I willing 
to defend and give an answer for before God. Because here's the question. Ultimately, for you who have never put on Christ, the question's going to be, did you hear? Did you understand? And I guess at that point you chose either to obey or not to obey. If you've heard what the gospel is, uh, Romans 10, 17, and you believe that, John 8, 24, then repent of your sin, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Confess Jesus is the Christ, John 8, and ver or John 8 and verse number 24, John 14, verse number 6. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38, Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, and then live that life that would reflect Jesus the Christ, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, if you haven't done that. That's how you become a member of the church. That's how you get to answer the, the last question. You know, that judgment of mankind is going to be individual. To where he says, Billy, did you do this? Did you not do that? Why? You didn't, you didn't understand what I wanted you to do? I understood. You didn't think it applied to you? I, I understand. Was there too much, out, too many outside forces pushing against you where you couldn't? No. Well, then why did you just choose not to? It was uncomfortable. I was afraid of what people would think about me. And at the point where the word uncomfortable comes across my lips, I can't help but think in the background, hearing Jesus go, uncomfortable? Son, do you know what happened on, on that cross outside of Jerusalem? Uncomfortable? Did you know I did that for everyone? For all of mankind. Everyone who wanted the obedience to God could have it. Have you put on Christ in baptism? If you haven't, you need to. Are you willing to answer that question before God? Why didn't you do anything else? Brethren, I'll be real honest with you. If you need to come home, God's waiting right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Oh.